We have been in the this study, this consecutive expository study of the book of the prophet Jonah. The title of this series is A Glimpse of God's Heart. And indeed, we're going to see some more of that today. And we're going to end this, the series proper. We're going to finish, God willing, getting through the last verse, uh, verse 11 of chapter 4. But we're not through with the series. We're going to have one more special installment, kind of an application and lessons to be learned from the book as a whole. And uh, look at some things that we've seen at points, but maybe even draw some more deep implications from that. And I think that will be uh, a nice bow to put on the series, as it were. So, but for today, our scripture reading is the last part of the book of Jonah, chapter 4, beginning our scripture reading at verse 5. Through verse 11. And once again, I remind you, these are not the words of men, but this is the word of the Lord. And hear it with very careful attention and appreciation. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord will always abide and remain forever. Let's once again ask his blessing upon it. 
Father, we come once again asking as we read and hear your word that you would give us ears to hear spiritually. I just hear an audible sound or visualize words in our, our minds, but Lord, that we might see the spiritual truth that you have for us in this portion of your holy word. Lord, unless you speak, unless you give light, no good will come of this exercise today. It will all be in vain. But Father, you are the one who gave your word. Come and honor it and may it yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our hearts and lives. And we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As we saw, I mentioned this last week as well, at the end of the third chapter in the 10th verse, we saw that there is this, what we call a negated clause, and God did not do it. Do what? He didn't do what he promised and said he was, thre- he was threatening to do to the Ninevites unless they repented. But they did repent. And so God relented. Now needless to say, as I pointed out last week, this is almost like the second part of last week's message under a different title. But Jonah was not a happy happy camper about this. He was none too pleased at this idea that the wicked Ninevites were going to get off the hook. He was ticked at God. He was angry that God was merciful to these heathen, to these pagans, and these oppressive, warring people that were a threat to him and to his very nation that was God's chosen people the apple of his eye and then last week when at the end of verse 4 God asked Jonah a question when Jonah pitched his fit God said are you are you sure you got a right to be angry Jonah Jonah in response to that question from God after getting angry at God, all we get is crickets. Doesn't say anything to God. Doesn't respond. Doesn't give a response back. When we're usually angry, that's one of the ways we sometimes we pop off right back, get back in the face of whoever we're angry about. But Jonah didn't do that. He didn't answer God's question. And he never does. Because we're going to get three of them today. But you know what? Jonah's a lot like us. When we get a question that we don't really want to consider deeply and ponder and weigh to see whether it has something to teach us, to make us wiser, we often flip the switch to another topic of discussion. And Jonah proceeded to get back to something he had been passionate about. And that was hoping still there was a chance that these stupid Ninevites would somehow mess up and create an opportunity for God to come and smash them. Maybe, Just maybe the abominable Ninevites would still find a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Somehow, 
They just might fall off the wagon. After all, we've got 40 days. We don't know at what point exactly, but this, this takes place, 5 through 11 takes place in this, or, or this whole chapter takes place in the time after Jonah's announcement. And that was probably very early on in the 40-day cycle. And yet, there are 40 days. And so Jonah's thinking, hey, these guys are ruthless. They'll probably mess up somewhere. And maybe God will suspend the clemency that he's offered them and really come back and give them what they deserve. So, today, we're going to look at our text under these three headings. The pouting prophet, the purposeful provision from God, of course, and the pointed probe by God. The pointed probe by God. Those are our three headings of consideration for our message this morning. Let's look at the pouting prophet, and indeed Jonah was. Uh, Jonah wasn't about to hang out in such a wicked city as Nineveh. He knew that. He knew that he was pure. He knew that he was better. He was superior. And he wanted to get out of Dodge as quickly as he could. So he headed out east, a very interesting direction that's pointed out here in the text. There's some things that that don't go well with that when people head east uh, in the Bible, all the way back into the Garden of Eden. Remember, they were dispelled or cast out east of Eden. Um, And... But Jonah gets out of Dodge, gets out of town. Look at verse 5 again. Then Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. You see, Jonah has high hopes. (laughs) He has high hopes. Not for the Ninevite salvation, but for their condemnation. Maybe they're still going to get their just comeuppance. So, he pitches his tent to watch what he hopes are the fireworks yet to come. Well, as I already mentioned, he was hoping that they would revert to their former ways and all bets would be off. All bets would be off. And I told you about the 40-day waiting period. So he just said, hey, give these guys enough time. They'll, their foot will slide. Now, to say that the prophet had an attitude problem is to put it mildly, isn't it? That he had a real attitude problem. God told him he had disobeyed God multiple times. And now... Instead of staying on the watch, asking, say, what now, God? He decides what now. He's going to go out and still hope against all hope that he will get what he really wants. And it has nothing to do with God's mercy. He had gone from anger, open anger, to pouting and sulking now. He's gone quiet, but he's going to sulk and feel sorry for himself And yet, he still has a glimmer of hope that he's holding on to. Of course, he had a great deal of self-righteousness. We've already seen that, and we'll see that some more next week. 
His response to God's mercy in many ways foreshadows the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. Remember when the prodigal came back, the elder brother would have nothing to do with the mercy and grace that the father was showing. He basically pouts and sulks and pitches a fit and won't come in to the party. Jonah's just like a preview of that coming attraction of self-righteousness. And of course, the real question is, how did Jonah get like this? Why was he thinking like this? Why did he feel this way? Well, the same way you and I do. Because when we get like Jonah, pouty, sulky, grumbling at what God is doing, we often are in the same boat with him for the same reason. Jonah, like us, continues to forget the amazing, outstanding, prolific mercy of God shown to any of us and all of us. And yet, because we forget that, we find ourselves very short when it comes to showing mercy to others. We find it hard to forgive. We find it hard to be merciful, especially to those who sure don't deserve it, as if we do. You see, Jonah is not so different from us if we really think about it, if we're really honest. Now, second thing that in this text today God is not going to give up. That's a real encouragement. He's not going to quit on Jonah. At this point, Jonah's grade is, is way down there. He is not doing well as a whole. He finally did a couple of things he was supposed to, but it took literally almost turning the world upside down to get him there. Jonah is not doing very well, and yet God is not giving up on him. He's not zapping him on the spot. He doesn't turn away from him. He keeps pursuing him. He keeps coming after him and coming after him with a purpose. So the second point, the purposeful provision. God's going to provide something, but it has a very didactic teaching purpose in mind. God's going to provide an important object lesson for his wayward prophet Jonah. Look at verses 6 through 9. Now the Lord... God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Now, just when it finally seemed something was going right for old Jonah, finally, God had given him this, provided this wonderful gourd shade tree, keeping the, that piercing Middle Eastern sun off of his bald head, you know, probably like mine. He, and, uh, and, and if you've ever, if you, if you don't have anything up here, you don't want to be in the sun without a sunscreen or a hat for very long. It, it, it gets, you, gets you pretty quick. And yet, apparently, everything was going so well, finally. 
at least something he could, he could take solace in. But apparently, uh, Jonah's had something else that God had in mind. So yes, God provides this gourd-like vine to sprout up and give him protection from the sun. But very soon, the next day, it all turns to dust and is blown away. God sends a worm to eat the plant, cause it to wilt and wither. And he also sends this scorching eastern wind. Sirocco is what they're called. Or maybe if you come from California, maybe something like the Santa Ana winds, a, a different iteration of it, but, but something in that idea. Just unbearably, you know, blasting hot heat. And Jonah, of course, is once again dismayed at this. God turns up the heat, and Jonah, what? Blows his stack again. <laughs> he goes right back to pitching another fit. He's gone from sulking and pouting. Now he's, God, what? You know, can I get a break? Who knows what else he said? And when God questioned him, he said, what? Basically, really? Really, Jonah? Really? You're, you're, you're steamed about a plant that just came up yesterday and now it's gone and, and you're this, this white hot And when God questions him that way, what does Jonah do? He doubles down. <laughs> he says, yes, I have a right by George to get angry. I'm going to pound my fist. You see, but God always has a purpose in what he does. The circumstances, by the way, don't cause Jonah's anger any more than they cause yours or mine. We believe it, don't we? We like to believe that. Well, if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have gotten angry. You made me angry. There's nobody can ever make you angry. Now, there are people that can provoke you, do things wrong to you. But what you do with that is within you. You can't. The outer circumstances did not make Jonah angry. Jonah had been angry for a long time because his angry, anger ultimately, was, with, as we saw earlier in this series, was with God. And everything else is just systemic of that. The circumstances don't cause Jonah's anger. They reveal it. And God is probing his prophet's heart in mercy. He's actually trying to wake Jonah up to what he's doing. He's trying to help him see and ponder. And if he has the sight, repent and remember who he is and whose he is. God is trying to do the same thing in your life and in mine all kind of ways. We often just don't recognize it. We think he's out to get us. He's out to destroy us. He's out to kill us. He's out to rain on our parade. But he's really trying to get you to look deeper into your heart and understand 
what your greatest vice really is. And it's not the external things. He does the same with us. Now, notice the third aspect of this. Here we come to the third question. The pointed probe. Notice that this pointed probe is probing into the wonder and the wideness. We'll see more about this next week. But the wonder and the wideness of God's mercy. Look at verses 9 through, excuse me, 10 through 11. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came to be in a night and perished in a night. And here comes the question. And so, and, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now, what's that question about? By the way, do you realize right here and in only one other book in the Bible does a book end with a question? And you know what the common denominator is? They both are about Nineveh. Nahum and Jonah end with a question. God's probing response reveals just how misplaced Jonah's priorities are in his understanding of what God, who he is, what his heart is like, and what he's up to. Jonah cares more about a plant than he does an entire city of human beings made in his God's image. I don't know about you, but, you know, despite all the extreme environmentalism that we're encountering sometimes, we should be good caretakers of the earth. We should be good stewards of the earth. But there are so many people that have got to literally have flipped things upside down. But what God is saying to Jonah, basically, Jonah, this is a plant. It's not on the same level. He's basically saying, arguing what you would call an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's saying, Jonah, if you can care this deeply and this much and have this much compassion for a silly plant that's here today one day and gone another, why are you questioning me about whether I care for those who are made in my image? By the way, there's something in between that continuum. There's animals. Animals are living beings in a way that plants are not. Plants are alive, but they are not in the same way that animals. They're of more worth, of more value. And God is basically going up the scale, saying, Jonah, if you got that much compassion for something that's down here, why can you, how can you wonder why I might care? 
so much about those that I made in my image. Especially when they're blinded in their darkness. They can't see. The whole question about who is this? Is this children underage? I think misses the boat. That's not what he's talking about. These are adults. He's saying these folks are blinded in their darkness. They are pathetic because they do not see and understand. They are wicked, yes, but in they see this, they're completely blind. He says, but they are still made in my image. Why is it a problem, Jonah? How can you have so much compassion for a plant and none for human beings? Jesus said, Matthew 7, 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask. Again, this hierarchy. We're evil. If we know how to do this, how much more? You see, God is reminding Jonah with this question that he had his roles reversed also. He's forgetting who's the judge and who's the defendant. Who's the one determining this? God is reminding Jonah also that the roles are reversed. Jonah, the creature, has put God, in the words of C.S. Lewis, in the dock. Now, when C.S. Lewis in England, they call the jury uh, witness stand, they call that the dock. And so, in other words, Jonah is putting God on trial. God is saying, seriously? Don't, do you not understand who's the judge here and who's not? It's back to what we read the other uh, last time, Romans 9. What shall we then say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God's saying to Jonah in this question, really, you, you want to question my credentials to be the judge of things equitable and righteous? Or, or, or should Jonah, I hand that over to you. After all, it looks like you've drugged me here to tell me that I've been unjust. Well, I'm telling you, in essence, that you're not only, you've not only misunderstood justice, you have obviously no notion of my mercy. Another thing we see here in this that God has pity not only upon people, like I say, but even animals, the cattle. And God is not just merciful to sinful and weak people. He's also merciful to the, quote, good and strong people. Now, who do you think that is? That's Jonah. 
That's sometimes you and me. Good as we define good. Good in a relative sense. But there is none good, Jesus said. No, not one. But Jonah thought he was. And so God basically is speaking to him and trying to say, I am been merciful to you, Jonah. And you're supposed to be one of the good guys. But you needed mercy. And now I give mercy. I'm giving a relent. I'm relenting to these people in hopes that some would turn and not face my wrath. This is what makes the mercy of God so wondrous and so profound. And if we get the real point of the question, folks, if we get the real point that is being driven at here, it not only should make us amazed and blown away by God's amazing mercy and grace, but the real point is so that we will turn around and extend that same mercy to one another and to others who don't deserve it just like we don't deserve it. I believe that's one of the major points that this book is driving at. Because you have people that thought, yeah, they got are getting what's coming to them. But God is showing us he's merciful to both the, quote, good and the bad. He shows mercy. And we'll see next week that mercy is always also the other side. He is a just God. And that is taught here by implication and by clear understanding. We'll see that next week. But again, think about showing and extending mercy. If we have received, remember, Jesus said to the woman who was washing his hair when Simon was riding him about her, and Jesus, he, he, uh, Simon had called, talked about what a, what a wicked woman she was and all the rest. And Jesus said, he who is forgiven much, what? Loves much. If you have been forgiven much and you know it, you're going to be more willing to extend mercy and forgiveness to others. If you're blinded to how much you need forgiveness and how much you have been forgiven, then you'll be like Simon. You'll be another Pharisee. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 43 and 45? You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was Jonah's gospel. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise upon the evil and the good and sends rain upon the just and the unjust. That should have been Jonah's longing. Is it yours and is it mine? You think about that. Amen. Father, we know that you are a just God. And Father, when your overtures of mercy are spurned, Lord, we know that you will 
in judge in this world and in the world to come. But Father, thank you that you also are a merciful God beyond the boundaries of mercy that we can even understand or comprehend. But Father, if we know any of that grace and that mercy, Lord, let us be quick to give it to others. Tune our hearts to not be stubborn and cold like Jonah. Father, thank you that you were probing him, trying to open his eyes. Continue to do so. Don't leave us to our own, our own devices, our own path. But Lord, open, open your truth to us. Remove the scales. Unstop our ears to hear and respond and walk in line and in light of such truth and such mercy that you have made known in your son, our Lord Jesus. As we come to his table, meet us here with your presence. And Lord, assure us that once again, you have provided the solution for both good and bad. Lord, because there are really no good except for you and your Father and, your, and the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray now these things in Jesus' name.